Have you checked out the new Brian Nichols Show collection over at Proud Libertarian? Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash shop and you can grab some amazing Liberty swag that will definitely help pique some interest from our good ideas don't require force snapbacks, Alexa overthrow the government t-shirts, question everything mugs, and of course our ever popular don't hurt people, don't take people stuff bumper sticker. The Brian Nichols Show shop over at Proud Libertarian has all the Liberty swag you need. And hey, if you're looking for more awesome Liberty apparel check out the rest of the amazing proud libertarian store while you're over there and be sure to use code tbns at checkout to get 10 off your entire order that's right 10 off your entire order from proud libertarian including everything over at the brian nichols show shop and all you have to use is code tbns at checkout one more time head to brian forward slash shop and check out the brand new brian nichols show store over at proud libertarian and use code tbns at checkout for 10 off your entire order. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really it's we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to the Brian Nichols show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Folks, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on today's fun-filled episode. Yes, I am your humble host, and today uh, we are going to have a conversation about healthcare. But before we get there, uh, happy post-election day. Hopefully, uh, you got the jitters out. I'm recording. I don't know uh, what happened. Hopefully, we have a new governor in uh, in Virginia. Fingers crossed. If not, this is going to hurt listening to this uh, on Wednesday morning, so I, I apologize uh, to future Brian and future audience. But uh, with that being said here, we're going to go back and I'll make things better by talking about today's guest. Dr. Lee Carisco is joining the program. Now, he started off in Canada as a socialist and experiencing the Canadian healthcare system firsthand pushed him to a free market capitalism faster than any argument with a Milton Friedman or, or Ludwig von Mises or Murray Rothbard ever possibly could have. So a great conversation on how personal experience and telling stories of people who have had these personal experiences can help us sell better solutions. So with that being said, on to the show, Dr. Lee Carisco here on The Brian Nichols Show. Well, thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Well, it's absolutely great to have you here, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, so what we wanted to do, Dr. Crisco, is, number one, start off by introducing you to the Brian Nichols Show audience. Uh, what got you on this path from originally starting off socialist upbringings and, and ideas to now where you're embracing a free market approach to the healthcare solution system? Yeah, well, I, I was, you know, lived most of my life in Canada, and it's just part of the cultural ethos there that it's the right thing for the government to take care of people and provide them with their health care. And I remember going to the uh, local clinic as a child, and there'd be no money exchanging hands 
Um, and that's just the way it was. And I used to think it was kind of absurd that people in the United States had to be responsible for their bills for health care. Uh, uh, and I, I labored under that delusion for many, many years, uh, ended up going to medical school, uh, worked as a family doctor for a few years, and then decided I wanted to go into the field of radiology, so I studied to become a radiologist. And then shortly after completing my training as a radiologist, I found myself medical director for diagnostic imaging in Thunder Bay, Canada. And I was confronted with the problems that we had to deal with, which were incredible shortage of resources. Um, we simply did not have enough doctors. For a while, we had uh, three radiologists uh, serving a population of 250,000 people. Uh, when the American College of Radiology at that time recommended one radiologist for 13,000 people. And the reason there were shortages is because they were engineered by the government. You know, uh, with a healthcare system that's quote unquote free, there has to be some way to put the brakes on healthcare expenditures. So it was official government policy to reduce the number of doctors that were trained. Um, because doctors are sort of the rate limiting step in the delivery of care. They're the ones that, you know, admit people to hospital and order, uh, medications and tests and so on. So that was official government policy. Um, and so they so quite vastly overshot the mark to the point where, uh, in Canada, you know, we were about 30% fewer doctors per capita, uh, than in the United States. And then due to some various personnel issues and so on. Um, we had a meltdown of personnel. We only had three doctors uh, serving this large population. We'd started out with eight, which was actually still underserviced. Uh, the, the Ministry of Health said we should have 13. Uh, we had eight. Uh, we ended up with three. And so I was working day and night trying to deliver good health care. Um, and around this, and the shortage, the kind of things that we were facing was that, you know, our wait time for a CT scan was seven months long. Our wait time for an MRI was 13 months long. Um, we had equipment that was outdated and even somewhat dilapidated. Um, uh, you know, there weren't enough specialty services. I personally knew some doctors. Their wait time was two years long. Um, um, and, you know, it just goes on and on. And across the country, Canada, I just checked this afternoon, uh, the Fraser Institute in Canada monitors wait times. And right now, the average wait time from referral from a family doctor to a, for specialist care is 21.6 weeks. And of course, you have to have a family doctor in Canada uh, to get a specialist referral. And 17% uh, and, uh, of the Canadian population, as of the time that I was there, up until 20 years ago, did not have access to primary care. No primary care, no specialist care. And in fact, in Thunder Bay, 40% uh, of the population did not have access to uh, primary care. So, um, we, you know, we were in a desperate situation. And just by serendipity, I happened to read a book at the time that I was dealing with all this um, called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Um, and for those of your listeners that are not familiar with the storyline, the basic storyline is uh, it's a fiction about what would happen as the United States moved into socialism. And over the course of a very long book, as time goes on, civilization actually collapses. Um, and the main characters of the book are these industrial um, capitalists that are trying to, uh, you know, do their job and bring their goods and services to market. But every which way they turn, the government is in the way, obstructing their ability to do so. And I was in this situation up in Canada. We had these shortages. Um, I, I had innovative ideas about how we could improve the service. Um, I had contacted, I'd gone so far as contacting the premier of the province to say, could they please allow special dispensation uh, to let some doctors in from South Africa? And South African doctors are really quite well trained. 
Um, and they're part of the British Commonwealth, so you would think that you know they would be accepted at par, but they wouldn't do so, um, despite the fact that we were just dying trying to deliver care. Um, I had ideas about how to make the department more efficient, and if anything cost any money at all, there was no interest because the system was run by a budget more so than by profit. And so um, I read this Alice Shrugged, and I saw the analogy in my own life about how you know the government was not a benevolent force. They, they tried to portray themselves as a benevolent force, but they really weren't. They were really an obstruction to the services that would have exist if you simply allowed them to exist by getting out of the way. And so I came to this realization that, you know, government is not the solution. They are the, actually the problem. Um, and I, you know, I read some other books. There's another book called Bionomics by Michael Rochelle, uh, giving a, it, it details like how um, businesses and capitalist systems are much akin to um, ecosystems in that they're continuously reorganizing and sorting out the wheat from the chaff and the more successful enterprises sort of rise to the top. And that with government, there's really no way that any central body can do such a thing because government is sort of ossified and rigid and bureaucratic. Um, and I, I just, it made perfect sense to me that this is why we're struggling in healthcare. It's because the government's involved. And so that's, uh, it was a major wake up for me. And it was more than just sort of the pragmatic aspect of delivering healthcare. But I realized that um, uh, government needs to get out of people's lives because it's a moral issue because people are entitled to their own liberty and their own lives and the right to live them freely. And when government becomes a bigger and bigger part of our lives, you know, it's, it, liberty melts away. And it's uh, fundamentally government involvement in anything is based on coercion. And coercion is immoral because implicitly it's a threat of physical force if you don't comply. So that was my wake up. That was my great uh, awakening from my socialist trance that I had been in for 40 years. Um, and so I just started to view the world in a very different way. And I realized I had to move to the relatively more capitalist United States if I ever wanted to be happy in my practice of medicine. So that's how I ended up in the United States almost 20 years ago. Wow. And and you read Atlas Shrugged and you said it, you thought it was fiction. Well, Dr. Carisco, I don't know if that's necessarily true when you're looking at 2020, what's happening, uh, and then going forward to 2021. A lot has happened. Um, but Oh, I agree. I agree. Oh, I say, but um, but hey, there is hope because there are people out there like you um, who are fighting the good fight, and especially in response to what we just saw happen here with COVID-19. Um, you know, we, we saw the healthcare system really have to to come to grips with a lot of the regulations that have been put in place and a lot of these regulations that were put in the name of doing good and you already experienced it firsthand. It's funny, I just had this conversation with my sales team. So in my day job, I lead a sales team in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity world. And when we were talking, um, one of my reps, he he's really excited he's going to be getting a promotion soon. And um, he was talking about the next steps and trying to figure out you know, the future, but like things he can avoid in the future. And I, I walked him through, you know, you know, Hey, find mentors, find people that you can learn from because not just all the great things they've done, but the things that they have failed at, and then they can help you avoid those, those pitfalls in your career, in your life. The same thing is true. I think when we're looking at uh, people like you, um, we see this, you know, there are people like Mag, uh, Michael Malice, um, you know, coming from the former Soviet Union, who people who grew up in areas that have experienced what it is that true socialism, true leftism, true progressivism looks like. 
And to, to actually stand up and say, no, I mean, good friend of the show here, Martha Bueno, she's running for Miami-Dade commissioner down in, in, in uh, Miami, Florida. She is, is uh, her family's from Cuba. Her mom broke her dad out of Cuban jail, and, and she is a, a rabid uh, pro-capitalist. And you see sometimes the most pro-capitalist, pro-free market people are people who have experienced the worst, the alternative, and that is the progressive leftist approach. So where, and, and this is where I, I, I preface this, where do we then lose the argument? Where do we lose the, the folks there in the middle who are looking for solutions? Because I dare say the, the free market approach makes the most sense, but is it that we're competing against this notion of a free healthcare system and people get captivated, captivated that is, by the term free? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in Canada, there's this um, myth about American healthcare that it's this evil, evil capitalist system that will let people die in the streets. And yet I've been here for 20 years. I've yet to see that happen. I've seen far more um, uh, failure to deliver care in Canada than I ever have in the U.S. I mean, one way or the other, they seem to make it work and people get their care. Um, the other thing is that, you know, the cost of health care is kind of buried in taxes and whatnot, so people think it's free. But uh, it's the Canadian healthcare system is still one of the most expensive systems in, in the world. Um, if you look at the other, you know, uh, advanced uh, countries, um, so it's it's not free by any means, and there's always hidden costs. You know, uh, like for example, um, I used to do this procedure up in Canada called angioplasty, where you feed a catheter up into a blood vessel and you stretch it out, and then. Uh, you know, often it would obviate the need for open surgery. The recovery time was shorter. People could get back to work quicker. But then um, I, you know, it, it got out that I was going to move to the United States, and the, the vascular surgeons were freaking out. Well, who's going to do the angioplasties? Well, the reimbursement was very, very low. I think it was like ninety dollars. It would take about an hour. Half that's going to taxes. You know, for forty-five bucks, I was going to doing a procedure, assuming potentially millions of dollars of liability. And there were a few other people in in town that could do the procedure, but they just simply wouldn't do it because, you know, it just wasn't worth it. But um, even now people would think, oh, they're getting that angioplasty for free. Well, not really, because if you're delayed getting it, you wait months on end, you may be missing work. Uh, you're incurring, uh, you know, disability. Um, uh, and so the true costs actually don't go away. The true total costs don't, don't go away just because government has arbitrarily pegged the, pegged the price for what they think they should reimburse. So, you know, what happens in, in market systems is that there's an alignment between what people are willing to pay and what people, um, what the price will be that is asked for. And then there's a meeting point and that people realize that there's a balancing of what is being provided uh, in worth for, you know, what is being paid. And it's a, it's a non-coercive system. Now, what happens in the United States? I mean, there's certainly issues, a lot of issues in Canada, and there's a lot of issues in the United States. But what happens in, in, in the United States where most people are insured? Now, it sounds a bit crazy, but Obamacare insured more people, thereby increasing the number of people who have un, unfettered uh, demand for health care. The demand for health care has gone up, and so the amount of health care um, to be provided, you know, it, it's gone up. But what when there's a third party payer, whether it be the government or a big insurance plan is uh, there's no balancing of what is being obtained for what is being spent. You know, I see it day in day out, like minor, minor, minor head trauma. People are getting 
CAT scans. And yet it's been scientifically validated that they don't need them. And yet, but because somebody else is paying for it, we're going to just order this test and it'll be done. But then we run into the problems where too much is charged for the CAT scan because the patient's not paying, the insurance company's not pay is paying for it. There's too, much, too many CAT scans done. And so we have this runaway growth in healthcare expenses in the United States that will, that will not be reined in until we have a completely different model where the purchaser of healthcare is the patient who makes the decisions about whether or not what they're getting is worthwhile for what they're paying. And it's a naive view to say that, you know, more healthcare is always better. There should be a balancing of the, the healthcare that's consumed based on what you're going to get from it. I mean, I'd like to give the example of my, my dog. Um, uh, she's, she's old now, but she's always had some issues with her elbows. And I remember bringing, bringing her to the vet and, you know, we had, you know, we discussed, well, you know, should we get x-rays? Is going to change anything? Uh, you know, maybe we could just sort of modulate her exercise a little bit. Don't let her run around too much. And, um, and if things get worse, then we can look at doing an x-ray. And, you know, because I'm the consumer, I'm the one that's going to spend. And we have the conversation, well, it's not really worthwhile to get the extras this time. We'll just cut back on her vigorous activity and see how it goes. But there's never had that conversation in, in human healthcare. It's just the test exists. We'll just match the test up with the symptom and we're going to just order it. Um, and, uh, and so you have these costs that just run wild. A number of years ago, she tore a ligament in her knee. And uh, she was quite disabled by it, so we brought her to the vet. And I had, I had veterinary pet insurance on her, which is actually, I think it's the best structured pet insurance plan uh, that, uh, uh, you know, I've ever, it's the best structured health plan that I've ever seen. It only kicks in for catastrophic losses. The purpose of the insurance is to kick in for catastrophic losses. The plan does not pay for routine things like immunizations and whatnot that I know are going to happen. And therefore, those things are reasonably priced because the veterinarian is answerable to me for what they're charging. And so she had this injury. Um, let's see, the costs were $2,850 to get the thing fixed. I had a $1,000 deductible, and the insurance plan said that they would cover $1,800. They gave me the check, and I could spend it anywhere I wanted to get her knee fixed. So um, I... The veterinary service that I was dealing with charged twenty eight fifty. I had to kick in an extra fifty bucks. Um, I paid the deductible, you know. Um, so for the most part, it it covered it. Um, and so even when I made a catastrophic claim, I still functioned as a consumer. And so we could move towards a healthcare system where the patient is always the consumer, even within the context of government programs like Medicare and Medicaid. Rather than having a defined reimbursement schedule for different services, you put money to accounts, and then those patients own that money, and then they can shop for services. And then if they uh, manage the money well, and uh, as time goes on, it can grow, and there can be more, uh, more and more money is available as time goes on to purchase services. And if they have money left over when they die, they could pass that on to their heirs. There's all kinds of creative pro-market methods by which we could get healthcare prices down. Um, and as far as people that are truly, you know, indigent, um, there, there are other ideas. Like, for example, um, charity healthcare. Um, a mutual uh, friend, uh, Dr. Barry Sabrin, talks about this a lot, where um, there's clinics that function by private donations. Uh, there's a clinic at uh, Zeropath uh, Health Center in New Jersey uh, run by uh, doctors Alita and John Ack, where they uh, function by private donations. 
And um, uh, I spoke to a lead a number of years ago. The, the price for a given visit, uh, this is probably data 10 years old, but if a patient was to be seen at the local emergency department, the charge was in the order of like $1,300. If they were to be seen at the uh, federally qualified health clinic, the charge was around $600. But if they were seen at their, their a volunteer clinic, the, ch- the price was that was covered by private donations was $13. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just mind-boggling how efficient the system was. And they would, they would, they had creative ideas where they would get drug companies to donate samplers, and people would volunteer their time. And like, like I think they actually had like a waiting list for people that wanted to volunteer. I mean, by and large, people I think are are good, and they want to help. But the point is that even for the indigent, there are plans, strategies that you could invoke using a marketplace. And voluntary charity by which you could get, everybody could get the care that they need and it would be far cheaper than it is right now. And probably better quality and uh, more rational because more healthcare is not necessarily better. Well, um, (laughs) people are starting to i think people are starting to realize that right now that even despite all the uh, the wonderful things that we had in our quote-unquote good healthcare systems was it actually good healthcare was it giving us good results or was it just treating the ailments we have and i i you know i i think one thing that you brought up it was actually more at the beginning there was this we see this in sales you talk about all the features and benefits and you kind of will get people bored but when you start talking about what are they actually missing out on, what in, and you start talking about the return on investment, but also the the things that you're missing out on if you don't make that change. And this is something that we see a lot of salespeople. Um, it kind of separates the good from the great. Is can you focus on that area where you have a situation where you can help paint the picture of okay, you don't make the decision right, you don't get to to move forward. What happens then? And in in your example, talking about well, if that's the case, you're stuck. All of a sudden, now you have a situation where you aren't getting your your health care, um, despite it being free, right? Despite it being in abundance, and despite that, you still don't have access. You have to wait three months for a, a life saving procedure or, or screening, but you know you can't even get in front of somebody. Three months, heck, it might even be three years. Who knows? Um, so I, I I mean what can we do? And I would I would ask from your inside perspective as a doctor to to help get the conversation maybe switching a little bit more towards this free market approach because I see right now unfortunately a lot of people are embracing these ideas that have been promoted from the left saying well we need more government control of healthcare how can we win that argument back and maybe does it have to even be an argument can it just be putting great solutions out there like you're already doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to have a conversation about solutions. It's not, not enough to just be against the, the failures of the Canadian healthcare system and the current failures of the American healthcare system. You have to be able to offer up creative solutions. And we touched on that a little bit. I mean, other things you could do would be when doctors provide care uh, to the internet, you know, they get either a tax deduction or tax credit. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, we, we talked a little bit about the direct transaction. So people are sort of figuring out if something is worthwhile to spend money on. But uh, that along with charity care and like true, true insurance that's in place to uh, cover large unexpected financial losses rather than every hangnail and sniffle. I mean, I think those are the three strategies by which you could build a rational healthcare system. Um, unfortunately, you know, the failures of government lead to more intervention, uh, which leads to more failures of government. And so the government just gets bigger and bigger. 
uh, just making the situation worse and worse. I mean, healthcare would not be as expensive as it is right now in the United States if the head, government had not gotten involved in the first place. And it all started back uh, around World, in during World War II when there were wage and price controls, which I'm sure your listeners understand caused more harm than good. Um, but employers wanted to be able to compete in some manner for employees, so they were able to offer health insurance, which was tax-deductible to the employer. And so this system was set up whereby we have insurance that's linked to our um, employment, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, my homeowner's insurance isn't linked to my employment. Uh, my car insurance isn't linked to my employment. Why, why should I have um, uh, health insurance linked to my employment? And really, to a large degree, you know, everybody thinks that insuring everybody is the solution, but at its root, insurance, which is really prepaid medical care, is actually the problem. That's the problem that we need to get away from. And if, if we, I mean, it's absurd how much people are spending for health insurance under the current model. If you can say, look, you know, rather than spending $16,000, which is taken off your, your wages every year, we can structure it so you've got money in your pocket that you can spend on other things, you know, your kids' ed- education, remodeling your kitchen, uh, you know, a new TV or, or whatever. I mean, I think, you know, maybe making point out to people that they have something to gain here by actually getting out of the current system. Well, we have about three minutes left, and I know we're already hard-pressed for time, which is just uh, sad, tragic, because we, we, this conversation is, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. Um, so what we'll have to do is we'll have to get you on for... Yeah, we'll have to get you on for part two because this is this is fun. Um, and it's great too because it makes it more real. Because it's one thing for me to to say, you know, as the the you know the privileged American that I am, um, that I've experienced what you know the American healthcare system looks like. Um, and and I I don't know, I I have no context of the socialized medicine that everybody wants here. You do, and you've lived it, and you've experienced it firsthand, and and that firsthand anecdotal experience though it is anecdotal it does bring real context to i think what is really it's rose-colored glasses in terms of how it's presented and uh, we need to get better in terms of articulating not just the, the the negatives of what that would bring to the table but also you know the positives of what the, the free market and you know solutions that exist out there already but also the ideas that are being discussed, and and Dr. Carisco, you just had a brand new book, Health Reform, The End of the American Revolution, Plugs. Where can folks go ahead and find that uh, that barn burner? Well, actually, it's been out for a number of years. I actually wrote it before Obamacare was even uh, a thing, and it was predicting the current problems that we're facing right now. But it's available on Amazon.com. If you just put my name in, uh, Lee, L-E-E, Carisco, K-U-R-I-S-K-O, in your Amazon search, it comes right up, or you can also order it from a Lethos Press, A-L-E-T-H-O-S, press.com, and it, it'll, it, it's in there in the, the catalog of, uh, of uh, books that they sell. Um, so uh, hopefully people will check that out. Fantastic. And what we'll do, folks, just because obviously we want to make it as easy as possible for folks to be able to continue the conversation, we will include the link uh, to the book as well as your biography here in the show notes. And also, folks, you go ahead, click the artwork uh, to The Brian Nichols Show in your podcast catcher. It will bring you to today's episode along with the entire transcription of the uh, the conversation, including uh, all 370-plus other episodes of the program. But with that being said, Dr. Lee Carisco, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me.
You've heard the name Ebels, but now you need to remember My Delta 8. From the same people who brought you Ebels, My Delta 8 is Delta 8 THC, offering a semi-sedative physical sensation without the overwhelming mental simulation of Delta 9 THC, resulting in a smoother, much milder experience. Both Ebels and My Delta 8 offer both best quality product and customer service in the industry, from helping manage chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more. The reviews are in, folks. Both Ebels and My Delta eight are truly game changers as a natural alternative to big pharma drugs and hey yours truly here at the brian nichols show can vouch for the quality of evils and my delta eight having to deal with a herniated disc in my back plus years of sports injuries evils and my delta eight offer relief where generic medicines simply mask the pain and did you know you can get evils and my delta eight delivered right to your door at a special discounted price that's right all members of the brian nichols show audience can use promo code tbns at checkout and boom, discount applied. Again, that's code TBNS at checkout to get the highest quality CBD and Delta 8 THC on the market delivered right to your door. One more time, the code is TBNS at checkout. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up our conversation with Dr. Lee Carisco. If you enjoyed the episode today, do me a favor, go ahead and give it a share. And also, when you do, be sure to go ahead and give yours truly a tag at B Nichols Liberty. Also, remember, like I said, at the end of the episode, you can find all of Dr. Carisco's information. If you go ahead, click the artwork in your podcast uh, catcher there. It will bring you right to BrianNicholsShow.com, specifically to today's episode where you'll find all of uh, the information for Dr. Carisco as well as today's entire transcript of the episode. But with that being said, folks, uh, coming up tomorrow, yes, on Thursday's episode, we're going to have a sales solo short with either yours truly or the one and only Jeremy Todd. Now, Jeremy's been busy with uh, doing a lot of work over at Cell Liberty. Uh, so fingers crossed we can catch him on Thursday before he goes live Thursday night over on the Cell Liberty uh, Facebook page as well as the YouTube page. If you haven't gone ahead and uh, go give them a like slash subscribe yet, well, go ahead and make sure you do that right now. That is your call to action, but also uh, your call to action is to go ahead and give, again, today's episode a share. And again, if you like the episode, I would love to hear about it. Not only tag me, but go ahead and email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Dr. Lee Carisco. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.